We, we started a series last week called Sent, and don't worry, if you weren't here last week, I'm going to bring you up to speed, because I know how awkward it is to come into a church and they're like, hey, we've been in this series, and you're like, well, I guess I'm not going to follow any of this this morning. Uh, we started last week with a passage of scripture, and you don't need to turn there, I'll just describe it real quick. This is in John chapter 20, verse 21, and, and the context of, of the passage that we looked at last week is that Jesus just died on the cross. And on the third day, he's risen from the grave, and, and he appears specifically to several women. Some women see the, see the risen Christ, and they go back, and they try to tell the men who followed Jesus what was going on. But for the most part, the men didn't really believe. They didn't understand. The light bulb still hadn't come on for them. And so that evening, these men, these disciples of Jesus, are in a locked room. Doors are deadbolted shut. Shades are drawn. And they're hiding they're hiding because they think they might be next to be arrested. They might be the next ones to be executed, just like their rabbi had been executed. And so they're kind of hiding out, and they're filled with fear, and they're grieving, and, they're, and they don't understand, and everything that they thought they understood for the last three years has collapsed, and suddenly Jesus appears to them. Just think of how crazy that would be. Some of you have experienced grief and loss. I just talked to a dear woman this morning who has experienced the loss of her husband. Can you imagine your grief if your loved one just one day like showed up? Like in front, I mean, that would be bonkers, right? Jesus shows up. He's in the room. They, they knew he was dead, and now he's in the room. And Jesus says, peace be with you. And they're still freaking out. So second time, he says, peace be with you. He says this two times in a row. And in John 20, verse 21, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And can I tell you, that doesn't make any sense at all. If I'm the disciples, and here's Jesus risen, you'd think Jesus would be like, all right, I know you guys have some trauma, so let's have a little support group right now. Everybody get in a circle. We're going to talk about our emotions. We're going to talk about what you just experienced. You know, let's, let's, let's deal with all this, right? Like, honestly, I mean, instead Jesus like, listen, we got a mission, y'all. We got a mission, and you got a purpose for your life, and we can sit around, and we can feel sorry for ourselves, or we can realize it's on Game on, let's go. Like we got a we got a we got a, a mission, a, a purpose to accomplish. And so he says, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Here we are in 2023, and I want you to know if you are a follower of Jesus in this room, as the Father sent Jesus, so the Father is sending you. You say, well, no, no, you mean like the really spiritual people in this room. No, I'm saying if you have responded to the grace of Jesus, you've asked Jesus into your life, you've chosen to follow him, he longs to send you. In fact, I would push you to this degree, you, your Christianity is going to be boring, and it's going to be monotonous, and you're just going to feel like you're going through the motions until you finally get that you are being sent, and that you have a purpose, and that you have a mission. And as long as Christianity is just religion, and it's just following the traditions, and it's just listening to a pastor spit for 35 minutes, or you hope he's only going to be 35 minutes, as long as it's just that, it, it's, it, it is what it is. But when we understand that we are sent people, that God is sending you, that there's an action to what God has for you and I, oh man, all of a sudden Christianity becomes exciting. It becomes adrenaline full, right? Because I've got a purpose and I've got a mission. As the Father sent Jesus, in the same way that the Father sent Jesus, the Father is sending 
you. And you go, well, it's sending me to do what? Primarily to communicate the gospel. The gospel, last week we talked about, is the word evangelion. It literally means good news. It's the good news that in our sin, God sent Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, came to this earth, and he was an example to us. He taught us. He healed. He performed miracles. But ultimately, Jesus came to take upon himself all of the curse of our sin, all the punishment of our sins was laid upon him. And then... In the, after the crucifixion, on the third day, he was risen from the grave. That's the gospel, that we can have a relationship with Christ, that we can have our sins forgiven, that we can begin to move into action with him, into partnership with him. So we are sent people, and we are sent with the gospel. But the question is, for many of us, we don't know the gospel. We don't know how to communicate the gospel. If somebody this week at school, students, middle school students, high school students, if somebody asked you how to be saved... How to be born again, most of us would be like, um, uh, I know there's a prayer you pray, and you know, let's, let's schedule an appointment with Pastor Aaron, right? I want to challenge every believer in this room, every follower of Jesus in this room, that you would be prepared and ready to share your faith, to know how to actually explain the gospel. So last week we gave a tool, it's an app that you can put on your phone. It's just simply called Share Your Faith. If you go to your app store on, on your phone and look up Share Your Faith, Share Your Faith. If you look up this app, this app will walk you through how to share your faith. And I encourage you, spend more time on this app this week than you do on social media and learn how to share your faith. But this is why today I want to I go a little further with this because if you just memorize a presentation... And now you've got it all memorized, you've got all the scripture verses memorized. Can I tell you, it still isn't enough. In fact, some of you are in this room, and you've had somebody give you the memorized, wrote gospel presentation, and it actually kind of pushed you away. Some of you, you would have gotten saved years ago when somebody gave you the gospel presentation, but there was something missing in that gospel presentation, and that something, it's hard to quantify, it's hard to describe, but there's a biblical word called anointing. Anointing. Anointing, again, it's hard, it's hard to describe, but anointing is what takes something from just being facts and information to having the oomph and the power that actually grabs your attention and catches your heart and causes you to turn and to lean in. Anointing is so important. Where does that anointing come from? It comes, obviously, from the Holy Spirit, but it comes through prayer. That anointing that we need to be sent people, to be people who communicate the gospel, the anointing that we need comes from prayer. And it's one of the reasons why there's so little anointing and authority in the American church. Because we, we preach good sermons, we're equipped maybe to share our faith, but we're missing that power, that anointing. Anointing comes through prayer. So today we're going to look at a passage of scripture. And today's passage of scripture is in Colossians chapter 4. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles. Whether you have a paper version or an electronic version. If you would turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. Maybe you say, Ken, I don't even try to turn. Because by the time I turn to it, the preacher's already in it. And so I just sit back and relax. I'm going to, please look this up in your own Bible. Because I want you to see what we're reading today. And while you're turning, I'm going to give you plenty of time uh, to get there by explaining what's going on in this passage. 
So in Colossians chapter 4, what we have is the, the letter, Colossians, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul almost 2,000 years ago. And the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of Jesus followers in a city called Colossae. And probably what is most important to understand about this letter is Paul's position in which he is writing this letter. See, Paul is not writing this letter from a seminary library that is filled with commentaries and books sitting at an oak table penning this letter. And he's not even in a coastal city along the Mediterranean outside with the breeze flowing, sipping his pina coladas. He's writing this letter to a church in Colossae. No, Paul is actually in prison. He is, he is actually in chains as he's writing this letter. He's chained to a Roman soldier as he's writing this letter. And I'm telling you, Paul's position helps us to understand this letter so much more. When we understand where he is writing this from, it catches our attention and it takes away our excuses. So let's dive into Colossians chapter 4. We'll talk about the chains more in just a moment. Are you there now? Colossians chapter 4. If you haven't been around Journey, I'm going to pause a lot. That doesn't mean to close your Bible or turn off your app. Just stay right there because we're going to keep going for a little while here. But Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 begins with these words. Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Would you say that phrase with me? Devote yourselves to prayer. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean that we as followers of Jesus are to devote ourselves to prayer? What does the word devote mean? In the Greek, this word literally means to persist obstinately. To persist obstinately. And every aunt, uncle, parent, grandparent in this room understands what it means to persist obstinately. Because every, every one of us have had kids in our lives who have wanted something. And we all know that when a kid wants something... And you just say, no, not right now, honey, that they go, okay, and walk away and never bring it up again, right? No, because kids are born with an innate sense of persisting obstinately, right? So it should be with our prayer. So it should be with our prayer. I know there's been this teaching that, that all you have to do is just pray once and because God hears that we can just walk away and God's going to take care of everything. And I know there are situations where that's probably true. But I think generally what God is looking for is a people who will persist obstinately. Who will in the words of Jesus ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. People who will have the bold audacity to say, God, I'm not giving you any rest until I see these things that I'm praying, and I'm praying in accordance with your word. God, until I see your kingdom come, God, I'm not going to give you any rest. Jesus told a story about a widow who was petitioning a judge who was corrupt in every way. And, and she was looking for justice. And the, and the judge wouldn't give her the time of the day because she didn't have any influence and she didn't have any money to bribe him. And so he wasn't even going to do what she was asking for. But because she persisted, because she kept on annoying the crap out of him. He finally relented, and Jesus said, listen, if a corrupt judge will finally give in to the, to the persistence of a widow, how much more will your perfect heavenly father, who is just in every way, and who loves perfectly, and who is so holy, how much more will he, will he reply? That doesn't mean that his answer is always yes and it's immediate, 
but it means that we are to persist absolutely. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And I'm telling you, what we need in this generation is a group of people, 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, 200 people who will say, you know what, Ken, I'm going to persist absolutely in prayer. God is looking for middle school students and high school students. He's looking for young adults. He's looking for retired moms and dads who are saying, you know what, I'm going to persist obstinately in prayer. Okay, there is more to the verse. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind. So we're to be alert in our prayers. We're to be clear-minded in our prayers. One of my favorite verses from Peter who talks a lot about being sober-minded and being alert. In 1 Peter 4, 7, Peter says, the end of all things is near. How many of you feel that? How many of you, it just feels like, yeah, it feels like the end of all things is near. Have you looked at the news this week? Banks collapsing. I mean, things could go crazy in this next week. Some of you are like, I probably need to pay attention. Right? I mean, it's, it's a weird, weird time. The end of all things is near. Peter, Peter said that. This is the word of God. He says the end of all things is near. Therefore, because of that, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can whine. So that you can post on social media, Right? No, he says, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can, so that you can what? Pray. Listen, prayer is so important. It shouldn't be our last resort. It should be our first priority. Prayer. Listen, things are going south around us. Let's pray. Let's commit ourselves. Let's devote ourselves. Let's be persistent, obstinately persistent in prayer with an alert mind. And I love the second part, and with a thankful heart. With a thankful heart. So many of us are not praying with thankful hearts. So, much, so many of us are praying with fearful hearts. And here's what God is looking for his children. Listen, we're to be obstinate. We're, we're, we're to be alert. We're to know what's going on around us. But we are to pray with thankfulness. A prayer that says, God, I thank you that you are on the throne. God, I thank you that Jesus is already victorious. I thank you that Jesus has risen and ascended and exalted. I thank you that nothing is too hard for you. And so I begin to rehearse who God is and what God has done. And I pray with a thankful heart. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And then, and then we get to the part where you're like, okay, I knew this was coming. Because Paul says, pray for us too. And we go, oh, we got you, Paul. We're going to pray that you get sprung. We're going to pray that you get out of that filthy dungeon that you're in, right? Because that's what he wants us to pray for, right? Obviously, he's writing this letter saying, you guys, y'all got to pray for me to get out of here. That's not what he says. He says, pray for us too, imprisoned in jail, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's a mouthful, isn't it? What is he praying for? He's saying, guys, give, pray that we would have opportunities to share the mystery of the gospel. Paul is in jail. Paul is in chains. In fact, he, he, ends, he says, that is why I'm here in chains. That is why I am here in chains. Listen, for Paul, the chains were not an excuse to shrink back. For Paul, the chains were a motivation to push forward. And here's what I think is true of a lot of us in this room. Our chains are an excuse to shrink back. We all, what's your excuse? 
What's your excuse for not sharing the gospel? I think if anybody had an excuse in this room, if the Apostle Paul was sitting in here, we had him sitting in a stool and we're, at, we're talking to the Apostle Paul, if anybody would have an excuse, it would be the Apostle Paul. And yet, he's literally in chains in a urine-smelling, rat-infested hole in the ground. His meals weren't provided for him. He was literally uh, at the mercy of friends and family members bringing him food or he wasn't going to eat. He's in chains, and he's in chains for what reason? Because he was a bad person? Because he had disobeyed God's law? No, he's in chains because he's been sharing the gospel. He's in chains, and what is he saying? God, give me opportunities to share the mystery of your gospel. What's your excuse? What's my excuse? We don't share the gospel because we're afraid. We're fearful. What if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? What if they make fun of me? What if they don't listen? Your chains can be excuse to cause you to shrink back. Or your chains can be a motivation to push forward. But let's drop our excuses. Let's drop them and say, you know what? I'm going to do what God is calling me to do. He says, this is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. I love his passion, and I want some of it. And I want that for you. If you're a follower of Christ in this room, that we would say, you know what? I know there's excuses. I'm going to push forward. He goes on, verse 5. Now he turns the table, and he starts talking about the people that he's writing to, these believers, I would argue that he's talking to us 2,000 years later. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Listen, we all interact with people who aren't followers of Jesus. And what Paul is saying is, here's the charge, is that we would live with wisdom. We would live with understanding. We would live with revelation knowledge. That we would make the most of every opportunity. In the King James Version, it uses the phrase, redeeming the time. And this is an interesting phrase, redeeming the time. Time uh, in the Greek is, is the word kairos. It's not chronos. Chronos is hours and minutes and days and weeks. Paul says, redeem the kairos. The kairos is the right critical moment. And many of us are going to have kairos moments this week. Maybe, maybe you're in middle school and you're at lunch and, one, and a student, because it's just the two of you, other students aren't there anymore, and a student starts sharing something that's going on in their family. That's a kairos moment because what we, what we can do is we can try to push back. It's awkward, so we try to make a joke. We try to change the subject. We try to laugh about something. Or we can say, you know what, this is a kairos moment that I'm going to seize. I'm going to lean in. How does that make you feel? How's that going? That would really be hard. I can't imagine if I was going through that. Can I pray for you? That is seizing the Kairos moment. And let me tell you, when the Kairos goes past, you can't, you can't re-seize it. There's a moment where there's a vulnerability. There's a moment where a window is open. And Paul is saying, listen, I don't know what your excuse is. I'm, I'm in chains in prison but wherever you are, when you have a Kairos moment, man, follower of Jesus, seize it. Grab a hold of it. Don't let it pass you by. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Make the most of those Kairos moments. Uh, verse, uh, what is that? Verse 6. I can't read because my eyes are going bad. Uh, verse 6. 
I'm resisting bifocals to the death, all right? Verse 6, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Um, and a lot of your translations say, let your conversations be seasoned with salt. Can I just tell you, salt makes everything taste better, doesn't it? So you guys, if you've been around Journey, you've heard about my love for McDonald's. And I know McDonald's has plenty of haters. And there's a lot of people who lie about their love for McDonald's because it's not cool. But I'm all right. I, I'm bold and audacious in talking about my love for McDonald's. But I'll tell you, and if any of you guys know the management of our local McDonald's, you can help me out. That would be great because recently what I've discovered is I'll go through the drive-thru and I'll order my McDonald's fries. And then, you know, I smile and thank you and I drive out and I'm driving down 20, like back to the church or to an appointment or whatever. And I grab one of those French fries. And I'm telling you, this has been happening a lot lately there's an issue and I'll grab one of those french fries and it wasn't salted you hear that Kevin like the greatest response I've gotten all morning is about McDonald's french fries right and every see because you do eat McDonald's french fries we all deny it we all say well oh, I'm too healthy but listen there is like a three minute window to eat those McDonald's french fries it's only about three minutes. You wait too long and they taste like cardboard, right? But if you can get them when they're hot and they're salty, they're good. But you got, if it's hot and it ain't salty, I don't want it. I'm not going to eat it, right? Listen, salt makes everything taste better. Are your conversations seasoned with salt? You want to you know a great way to, to, uh, to not make your conversation seasoned with salt? Use sarcasm. When someone starts talking about serious, something that's serious, make a joke. Change the subject. You know, you know how to season a conversation with salt? Encourage the people in their conversation. Listen to them. And don't listen to them as you're trying to formulate something to say back or something to, you know, the people who always have something, well, I did this. Well, you ran a marathon? Well, I ran a hundred... 20 mile thing up in the Himalayas, you know, like, I mean, you're just like, 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 listen and, and listen to say, oh man, that's incredible. Listen to affirm, listen to encourage, listen to say, that's incredible. Man, you're doing a great job. You're making a difference. Say words like, I love you when it's appropriate. Okay. I know that that can be weird in a lot of conversations, but we need to get, we need to be able to say to the people who are close to us, Say words like, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. You know, you really are. We need a little more Mr. Rogers in us, right? Amen. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. See, see, Paul understands how vital the gospel message is. You want to know how vital the gospel message is? Here's the truth of the matter. Everybody spends forever somewhere. Everybody is going to spend forever somewhere. And, and it's not prideful and it's not arrogant to listen to somebody's story and then with grace and with a conversation that is seasoned with salt to say, you know what, can I tell you, I have a confidence in where I'm going to go when I die. And it's not because I'm cocky. It's not because I'm being arrogant. In fact, I don't deserve it. But Jesus loved me so much and he loves you so much. He died on the cross for you. You can have a confidence. You can have a knowing of where you're going to go when you die. See, Paul cared about people. That's why even in chains, 
Paul is concerned about the people he's writing to, but he's also concerned that they are communicators of the gospel to the people around them. He wanted everyone to know that Jesus came to set them free from sin and guilt and shame and fear and addictions. So God, help us to see people the way that you see them. Here's, here's my challenge. And uh, this is in your, if you got the notes, you can, you can do this in your notes. If you didn't get the notes and you just got that card when you came in, you can use the back of your card for this. But I want you, and I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit of time to do this. I want you to write down the names of three people that you can commit to praying for in the next three weeks that do not know Jesus. Just, just you know, hey, here's three people. I'm going to pray for them over the next three weeks because I know that they don't have a confidence in Christ. I know that they haven't come to a place of receiving the grace of Jesus for themselves. So I'm going to ask you to do that right now. And you say, well, I'm not going to do that right now. Well, it'll help everybody else out if you just doodle something on your card. Because I'm going to stay in here until it looks like we're actually doing this, all right? So, <laughs> like, man, he's really a jerk today. No. Who are three people in your life? Maybe at school. Maybe people you work with. Maybe someone who lives next door to you. Someone who works next to you. Three people who don't know Jesus. That you can commit to praying for. You say, well, what am I supposed to pray? We'll get to that in a minute. Who are three people that you can pray for in the next three weeks? In fact, I would encourage you maybe even to set some reminders on your phone that once a day that you just have a recurring reminder to pray for this person. I know in my life, if I don't set reminders, things just don't happen because I forget. Maybe you need to write something on your hand. I do that, you know, back in the day when there was Palm Pilots, my, I was constantly writing stuff on my hand because I need a reminder. I need something to help me to actually do this thing that I've committed to do. So our challenge is for the next three weeks to pray for three people who don't know Christ. And then look for opportunities. Pray with your eyes open. Look for the opportunities. And these will happen anywhere, won't they? I thought it was interesting recently, uh, I heard someone who had done, they did a study of the Gospels. And out of 132 contacts that Jesus had with individuals, so 132 times that Jesus has a conversation with somebody or he heals somebody. He has some kind of interpersonal relationship with 132 different individuals throughout the Gospels. Only six were in the temple and four were in the synagogue. That means 92% of Jesus' interactions happened outside of the walls of religion. And as much as we want to see people get saved right here in the building at Journey Church, you know what I want even more? I want people to get saved at your school, the place where you work, in your living room as you're sharing a meal. Look for opportunities. Listen. Pay attention to people. Look them in the eyes. Take interest in their lives. Ask questions about faith. You say, well, that's weird. Nobody wants to talk about faith. I'm telling you, there is a renewed interest in spirituality in our nation right now. 
A month and a half ago, Gallup, an organization that does a lot of different surveys, especially regarding faith and spirituality, they did a survey and they found that 42% of U.S. adults say that they are more open to God today than they were before COVID. 42% are telling researchers that they're more open to God. And, and this is where it gets really crazy, especially for all of our middle school students, high school students, college students in this room. You've got to see this. This is the actual data of this. If you want to go to the screen, uh, Riley, that has the data. 59% of Gen Z, 59% of Gen Z, who is Gen Z? This is our high school students, our, our young adults in the early 20s. 59% of Gen Z says, I'm more open to God today than I was before the pandemic. Guys, that's crazy. I know you don't think it's huge. This is a big deal what's going on in our nation right now. Look, at, look amongst millennials, 54%. That's more than half of every millennial that you, that you meet is saying, I'm more open to the things of God today than I was before the COVID started. And then we get more crustier as we get older. Okay, you see, you see kind of the, we just do, right? So then for Gen X, which that would be my generation, it's 43%. For boomers, it's 34%. There's a huge opportunity. There's a huge opportunity. And that's why it's so important that as you are listening to that other person, as you're paying attention to them, as you're looking them in the eyes, as you're speaking words that are salted and seasoned, don't be afraid to ask them about their faith. Don't be afraid to ask, where is God in this? Don't be afraid to lean in. And maybe that seems weird. Maybe that seems like something you wouldn't normally ask. But I'm telling you, if these statistics are true, there's a lot of people out there that are interested in having that conversation. If it's not weird, and if it's not memorized and manipulated. So know the gospel. Know it thoroughly. Get it deep down inside of you, not just a memorized word-for-word -word thing, but get it so that it's just a natural way of talking. And then find ways to bring the gospel into your conversations. So I told you a minute ago that uh, we had you write down these three names, and I told you that, that we want you to pray for them over the next three weeks. Sometimes pastors and churches are good at telling you to pray about things, and then you're like, well, what do I pray not used to praying. I don't know what to pray. So when you came in, we gave you this card. And on the card, we've just made it easy for you. These, these are prayer points every day of the week for the three people that you're praying for over the next three weeks. Now, some of you can be overachievers, and you can pray all these prayer points every day, and that's awesome. But if you just want to keep it simple, maybe you take a picture of this and put it on your phone, and then you set a daily reminder to pray for them, and then it's right there on your phone so you can get right to it. But today, Sunday, we would pray, God, give me a greater love for, and then you put in the person's name. So, Stephen. God, I'm praying for Stephen this week. He's one of my three. God, would you give me a greater love for Stephen? You say, that's a weird thing to start out praying, right? Like, like aren't I supposed to pray they come to faith in Jesus? Yeah, it, it starts with us loving them. They're not a project. I want to love them. I want to really love them. I want to really care about them. Here's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures here, but Paul says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news or the gospel, but we shared with you our own lives too. What's Paul saying? 
I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to love you. <laughs> I invited you into my home. I shared, I shared meals with you. Like, the, the, you're not a project. You're someone that I value. I care about what you care about. I want to listen to you. I want to listen to what's going on in your life. Monday, God opened so-and-so spiritual eyes and ears, and there's a verse there. Tuesday, God set so-and-so free from spiritual captivity. Wednesday, God give so-and-so faith to believe. Thursday, God, give, uh, God help me build a relationship. Friday, God give me boldness to witness to so-and-so. Saturday, God give me an opportunity to invite them. There's so many opportunities, right? So many opportunities. Before, before we have you stand and dismiss you, here's a question I want to ask you. Have you responded to the gospel? Maybe you didn't have any names to write down. Maybe it's your name that you're really thinking about as you're thinking about names to write down. Like, I need to respond to the gospel. I haven't fully understood the gospel, Pastor. And so I, would you pray for me? Because I want to know. I want to know that I'm going to spend forever with Jesus. I don't want to be separated from God. I want to know that I've received his grace and his forgiveness, that he is the master and the leader of my life. I don't want to live for myself, and I don't want to live for other people because they're broken and they don't know. They're, they're dysfunctional. I want to live for Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. And if you haven't made that commitment, you can do that this morning. In fact, I'm going to ask everybody in the room to stand to your feet. For those of you watching the clock, we're getting there. You've almost made it. But for others in this room, there's a spiritual tug of war going on inside of you right now. In fact, it's been going on maybe even since you came in this room this morning. You just sense, like, I, there's something different about what's going on this morning. I want you to know the difference is that God loves you, and he wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to know him, and he went to such extravagant lengths that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. And all you have to do is respond to him. Humble yourself. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. I believe that you are the son of God, that you died on the cross for my sins. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be the master and leader of my life. Empower me to actually, actively follow after you. If you resonate with that, I'm going to ask all over this room if you would close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're here and you say, Ken, I resonate with that prayer, I, I, would, you, would you pray for me? I want to become a follower of Jesus today. Would you just raise your hand right now, right where you are? Yeah, I see you back there. I see you. Anybody over here? Over here, I see you. I see you. I see you. Anybody else over here on this side? After you've raised your hand, you can lower it. Back there, I see you. Anybody else? Guys, it's awesome. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? How awesome. Hey, can we just pray this across this room? Maybe you're here and you go, okay, I, I want to pray, but I don't know what to pray. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you kind of a template to pray. And listen, it's meaning this in your heart. It's speaking it, but it's meaning it in your heart as well. So let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father. I confess I have sinned against you. I'm sin-stained and sin-covered. You are my only hope. Thank you for Jesus 
I believe he is your son. He died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Remove the shame. Empower me to actively, actually follow you. Empower me to do what you want me to do. Thank you for adopting me into your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, that's the greatest decision that you could ever make. And I want, yes, we can applaud that. That's awesome. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward and, and listen, before you leave, a couple things before you leave. First of all, if you raised your hand, as everybody else leaves in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come and just say, hey, I raised my hand for prayer. We have a free book that we want to give you. We want to pray over you and celebrate with you. In the first service, there was a young woman who raised her hand, and she came up, and it was like a party over here going on, just so excited about what God is doing in her life, and I encourage you to do that. If you raised your hand also on your connection card, there's a place at the bottom that says, My Next Steps. Would you mark that box that says, I'm, uh, I've decided to follow Jesus or I'm reaffirming my relationship with Jesus, whichever one's appropriate to you. Mark that box. And then as you're leaving, we're going to ask everybody to take those connection cards and stick those in the buckets. Next week, we're gonna, it's going to be so much fun. We're going to continue the Scent series. And it's our sweet 16. We're going to be 16 years old as a church next week. And so we're going to be celebrating that. Make sure that you come back next week. It's going to be so much fun. God bless you guys. We'll see you later.